0: Welcome, guys, and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Mr. Russ Perry. Russ Perry is the founder of Design Pickle, which is a flat rate, always available, ego free, unlimited graphic design help platform. They have been featured on countless, countless, countless media platforms, too many to mention. Uh, And he is also the author and founder of The Sober Entrepreneur. So today, we are going to take a stroll down entrepreneur lane. And we're going to talk about some, some pretty key topics here. So we're going to address... Uh, Mental Health Amongst Entrepreneurs. We are going to talk about some of the best habits and routines that entrepreneurs can undertake. Uh, We are going to talk about addressing addictions as entrepreneurs, which is a pretty interesting topic. And Russ is going to share his personal journey on how he went from working as an Apple creative Uh, you know, full time to building a business of a company that now does over half a million dollars a month. So he's built up a very, very successful company. He's done some incredible things. And he has some amazing stories to share with us today on the podcast. So make sure that you stay tuned Uh, really quickly. I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that has been sharing the podcast lately. I have absolutely loved getting the tags on Instagram. Don't forget to hit me up at man talks when you share the podcast, make sure you man it forward. Uh, Thank you so much to everybody that has left a review and subscribed on iTunes. It goes a long, long way. I really, really appreciate it. And let me know if you want to see some video. We've been thinking about uh, doing all of our interviews live moving forward. So I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts and feedback on whether or not you would like to see video interviews versus just the audio. Uh, So that's a little bit about that. For all the guys that are out there, do not forget to head on over to Facebook, and join the Man Talks community. We've got over 3,000 men on there. I was going to give you the approximate number, but I don't have it in front of me. I think it's about 3,300, 3,400 now. Uh, But we've got some great conversations going on about masculinity, about fatherhood, about fitness, uh, about wealth and entrepreneurship. You name it, we dive into it. So join the conversation. I hope to see you in there, hit me up. So, without further ado and further delay, it is with my great pleasure and honor to welcome Mr. Russ Perry. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, man, you are a man of many talents, you know, as I as I sort of read through your bio and and I was doing some online stalking as I do for all my guests before, you know, before interviewing them. I like to call it the Google stock, you know, Uh, it's, it's really interesting to see your past, you know, the, the family that you've created, the, the business that you've built and some of the incredible things that you've done with your life. So I am absolutely jacked for this conversation. Well, Hey, thank you. And
1: I also did some Google stocking on you and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for what this podcast is all about. Usually I'm on, I think more straight and narrow ones, but, um, the mission you're on, I really resonate with. So thanks for having me.
0: Awesome, brother. Well, before we dive too deep, I would love to ask you the question that I put forth to all of our guests, which is tell us, tell me, tell the listener, a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Well, okay. So
1: this story actually kind of has two similar occurrences. And in two thousand and eight or nine my grandmother completed a kind of biography audio autobiography of her her life journey she's daughter of a german immigrant traced all the way back to germany and it was this really powerful cool thing to get as as a kid cuz you just are you never really hear a lot of those stories from your grandparents you're usually getting lectured by them or getting gifts from them but not like hearing on 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 the details of how they grew up so I got this book and I read it. And, um, as we'll get to probably in a bit, I didn't really think much of, a, of it. And later on in life, I, in 2013, I had, uh, had just a, a shit ton of challenges with my marriage, uh, with alcoholism and drinking. And I was, I didn't really have much clarity though on, or at least I wasn't acknowledging what the real problems were. So she passed away. And, and I was reading this book again with my oldest daughter and sort of as like honoring her and, oh yeah, this is who your grandma was. And she had this book or your great grandma. And I read it again and something so profound stood out to me while I was reading this book. And it was very simple and I completely missed it the first few times I had read it. But as I was reading it, I noticed that Not all, but many of the men depicted in this book were depicted quite negatively. They were alcoholics, gamblers, cheaters. And these were my family, like extended, extended, extended family. And here I was reading this book and I was like, what the heck? Like, like this is their probably only living, like, like real account of their lives. And it wasn't very flattering. And this kind of led me to then the thought pattern of like, what happened if I died today? Like, what would someone write about me? Would it be amazing and honorable? Or would it be like my grandma's writing about her, her relatives and even like her, her dad was, wasn't as flattering as you think it could be. And at that point, that's where I came to reality with my addiction to alcohol. And I was like, I have to change my story. I have to change my story, what I'm doing, and where I want to go. Because if I die, I don't want a story like this, <laughs> like my grandma had written. I want something very different. And uh, shortly thereafter, in October 2013, I had my last drink of alcohol, and I and I haven't had a drop since. It's literally changed my life,
0: completely changed my life from from that moment. Yeah, amazing, man. I mean, it's it's interesting how some of these forms of addictions like really have a stronghold over our lives. And and sometimes it's not even that bad, you know, like sometimes it's not even a, a severe problem that we're dealing with. It can just be this sort of crutch that we lean on and we don't really think too much of it. Right. Like I I remember in high school, my go-to was video games. And anytime that there was like a challenge in, in high school, I would just go play video games for like hours on end and zone out, and not sleep and, you know, and eat crappy food and and sit there. And so I I love hearing your story because it really is that moment of, of what do you want your book to be? You know, what do you want the narrative to be of your life story? And one of the questions that I always ask guys when I work with them is what's the title of your autobiography right now? And is that the title that you want on your book for the rest of your life? Because so often we don't really think about the narrative that our life is is creating. So that's that's pretty incredible. And I'm just curious, how much of a role did becoming a father play in some of these shifts? Well, it's
1: been instrumental in in all of my major life shifts. You know, from from that decision of of sobriety, when I looked at my daughters and I was just like. I don't want them to tell my story with this this in their lives and the challenges but even before that becoming an entrepreneur i quit a really fun awesome job at apple to chase entrepreneurship because i wanted more freedom with my daughter who i had at a younger age i had her when i was 22 i was a senior at arizona state university and I, I, had a, I had a job, I had a corporate job. I was working at the retail store. I was an Apple creative doing that thing. And I loved it though, but I ultimately, I, need, I didn't have the lifestyle of free and the freedom that I wanted. And so that decision was made having kids. And even to this day, like I don't think I would work as hard as I work now and want the success that I want now if I
0: didn't have children. Yeah, amazing. That's that's really cool. I guess guess we have a lot more in common. I didn't notice that you had worked at Apple before, but I actually, uh, I actually worked at Apple too, and was a a manager for the Vancouver market in in Canada. So that's hilarious. the 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 paths meet. The paths meet. So that's that's pretty. That's pretty (laughs) awesome. And
1: yeah, well, and I did corporate. I did corporate work from then. I was uh, It was in college. I had a job as one of their Apple reps which was like the dream job for any college nerd tech kid working for Apple and just like Selling. Remember, I sold the original iPod <laughs> with like the rotating wheel to college kids at the student rec center. Like, hey, you want to work out? Listen to your music. Here's this cool thing called an iPod.
0: That is hilarious, man. So, what what turned like? I mean, obviously, you gave me a little bit of sh- of uh, background in terms of like the shift into entrepreneurship. But you know, you've built this pretty incredible company called Design Pickle, which, by the way, I love the name and I <laughs> I love the logo. We actually have a guy in Vancouver as part of the community, his last name is Pickles. And so this, you know, when I, when, <laughs> when I saw, and he's like this big fitness guy, he's absolutely incredible. Um, but when I saw, you know, Design Pickle, I was like, this is, this is awesome. It reminded me of him. But what led you down the path of creating the platform that you've built with Design Pickle? Because it, it really is a unique platform in terms of, you know, what, what you guys do. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's a flat rate unlimited graphic design uh, a company that's all online, and so what spurred that on, and and what were some of the problems that you faced in the very beginning? Well, the the genesis of Design Pickle, and that's
1: I love what you said about pickles. Like everyone has a pickle story. That's why the brand always works so well. Either they hate pickles or they love pickles. There's always uh, very polar opinions. But I, I started it as like a way to scratch my own itch. I was consulting, so I closed my first eight and a half years as an entrepreneur, I did the agency thing. I was a creative agency or a branding agency or marketing agency, depending on which day of the week you asked me. But we just did a ton of stuff in that field, kind of just helping out for, for companies that didn't have a lot of marketing people on their team. But it sucked. And it was super depressing. Um, I was addicted to that business, so so we talk a lot about addiction from from alcohol, but you could also be addicted to a really just a crappy business, and that was my that was my thing. Like it looked cool on the outside, but on the inside, it was really not a great good business at all. And so I quit and I closed it. I, I had a partner, and I we closed up shop. But then I had this thing called a wife and kids and bills, so I couldn't just. <laughs> Not work. Um, I, so I, I hustled. I got a bunch of consulting jobs lined up, kind of a mishmash, to make enough money. But that those consulting jobs had with them a ton of production design work tacked on. So I, I was I was doing things like trade shows strategies, but I was also doing all the design for the booth and whatever else they needed. Well, this was a problem, and the reason was is because. I hadn't done design in a long time. I always had people doing it for me. So I was a terrible designer and I needed to get help fast. And uh, that's when I reached out. I built like, I found two freelance contractors online. They, one happened to be from the Philippines. So we ended up hiring another person from the Philippines to do the design. And for the first two and a half months of that, they were my secret back of office doing design. And And helping me get the things done for my clients that I couldn't necessarily do or didn't have the time to do. And after a while, this started working like the best out of everything and was scaling as I added more consulting clients. There was just a pivotal moment in December 2014 where I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, look, I think this piece of my consulting, this sort of automated, easy to use way to get graphic design help, this this alone could be a business and so that then launched into design pickle the next month in January 2015
0: that's awesome man i swear i don't know if this exists yet but i want somebody and maybe it's somebody that's listening but i want somebody to create a podcast called the accidental entrepreneur because i feel like <laughs> i feel like so many of us have these stories of becoming entrepreneurs almost accidentally. You know, like it's not really it's, yeah. like it's not this idea of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna create, I'm gonna build this business, like I'm gonna build this, you know, business that's doing half a million dollars a month in revenue. That's not that almost like never works out for those type of people. But the people that are kind of like they just, you know, they're going along and they're having some success and all of a sudden that grows and and before you know it, they're running a really lucrative and successful company. It almost has you know, come because of these uh, because of these circumstances that have led them there. So uh, I don't know, man, that could that could be your next big thing. Accidental entrepreneurs. (laughs) Not that you don't have enough on your plate already. I'm actually already working on a podcast with my wife, so I'll I'll let that one go
1: (laughs) before. But I think it's so true. But it's ultimately I think the the reason why businesses become successful is because from day zero, you are already solving a problem versus the uh the the businesses or products where we're trying to force a solution down to 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 somebody and some are successful when they're really truly innovative but many of them fail because there's no demand
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and and it kind of gives you a chance to test your market you know like before before you really push out into the world i think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs you know they they uh What do you call it? They burn the boats to take the island. And so and so they really push all the chips in maybe before they're even ready and maybe before they even tested the market. And so, you know, I think this manner of doing things and sort of building the side hustle, building up the the social proof and the economic proof really allows you to to know that you have a solid uh, foundation underneath you. Absolutely, totally. And and like everyone asks, well, how did you
1: launch? How did you launch? You launched in January. How did you get your first clients? And the the secret answer, the truthful answer is I had already launched in two thousand and fourteen. I just didn't know it yet. I was already doing this and I was already working with people and testing the processes and systems. So before we quote unquote launched, I had proof of concept. I it wasn't a question of will this work or not. It was simply a question of now can we find the right you know, the clients we require, I had already got the, the, well, there were, there were so many problems when we launched, I more to name, (laughs) but I
0: had already proven that, Hey, people will pay for this and they like it. Nice. Yeah. That's great, man. And, And just before we just before we move on, can you share with us some of uh, maybe not like the specific problems that you face, but I think it's it's important for us as entrepreneurs to shed some light and sort of pull back the the entrepreneurial curtain on on how you've dealt with and how you face some of those failures, because it's inevitably going to happen. And I think in a lot of ways, successful entrepreneurs are the ones that can manage risk, manage failure, and and manage to continue to push forward when everything seems like it's just completely falling apart. So do you have a time in your business, either with Design Pickle or with one of the other companies, where it just seemed like you didn't have a way out and, and somehow you managed to push through?
1: Yeah, well, I felt this way a lot of times. I mean, honestly, Connor, like, when we talk about the personal life issues, I think I think this is most prevalent when we're dealing with personal things, and we don't know how to manage it or deal with it and then what what we either do is we either ignore it, which then it compounds and gets worse, or we or we run to our business thinking, "Oh well, if I just work more on my business, it's going to solve these personal issues like we don't have enough money. So I'm stressed out and broke because we're just starting. So I'm just gonna double down on working longer hours, ignore my wife, ignore my kids because I need to I need to make more money to to then be able to afford more time with my wife and kids and be less stressed about that. But it's it's complete opposite. And this was this was one of my biggest life lessons over the last three to four years was the key is like the Irony is that business will never be easy, no matter what you do. There's never this perfect ease of of like, oh my gosh, it was just so luxurious and never had any problems. But I can't be fighting a ton of fires at home and deal with the stresses of startup or or building a business. And I tried for eight and a half years and almost got divorced and drank a lot because it wasn't working and I needed some other solution to ignore the problems. So alcohol came into my life. But with Design Pickle in 2015, I said, look, here are my must haves for my life. Like, I must have freedom to spend time with my family. I must have a, an economic model of this business that doesn't require me flying across the United States all the time to pitch clients to hopefully sign up for what I'm doing. Like, I want people to just find it and sign up online. Our subscription revenue model that we have was a lifestyle choice. It wasn't a business model choice, is because I wanted money automatically coming because it was a pain in the ass to go chase down checks from people. So that was like like having my life on lock before the business started allowed me to persevere through the challenges because I wasn't freaking out about what was going on at home too. And the guys especially I know who are fighting battles with marriage as well as with business, they're crumbling. They're the ones struggling with addiction or stress or cheating on their wives or whatever it might be because they, they, it's too much for any one person to handle. And so Design Pickle ultimately was my, my like lifestyle solution. Well, guess what? It was really positive on my life. So I wanted to work harder and I wanted to push harder and I wanted to work, do more Design Pickle
0: because it just keep, kept making my life better. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's pretty, some pretty sage advice. And so, you know, building your business around your lifestyle rather than building your business and having it design your life <laughs> is sort of a, is sort of a very different approach. Right. But I think I think what's interesting, Ross, is that a lot of that is is terrifying for for most entrepreneurs when they first enter into the space. Right. There, I think there's a sort of like startup mentality and and entrepreneurial mentality that we are at the whim of our business, not our business at the whim of, of us. And so if you were to, let's just say, be mentoring a group of entrepreneurs who are just starting off for the first for the first time or or, you know, maybe had had some failed businesses. What would you say, what advice could you give to them maybe in terms of something tangible or tactical or around how do you actually start to shape your business around the lifestyle that you ultimately want? What, is, what does that look like? Where do people start? Well, there's two steps that come r-
1: immediately to mind. And, and I'll say the second step, and then I'll go into the first step. The, the second step is charge enough money to, to like make money. That's like a problem people, a lot of people have is they want to launch something, but they either do it for free or so cheap because they're they're like not sure or they're like, oh, well, I just need to get some practice or prove the concept. It's like, no, like if you're not confident enough in what you're doing to charge from day one, then make your product better or your service better or figure something else out so you can go and charge. Like when Apple launches a new iPhone, they're not like, hey, like. You know what? We're just going to throw this out for free for a while to see how it does. They're just like, "Here's our new product. It's a ten thousand dollars for a phone. Go buy it." And we have to have that same amount of confidence, which requires us to have a really great product or service out of the gates. Now, to the first part of this around the service or product out of the gates is niche down and get so specific in whatever you're doing in terms of the product, the service, the target market. Because guess what? There is a million dollar business for anything out there. For as as niches you want to get it, you want to be the the design pickle for cupcake companies. Like you only do design for cupcake companies, you can be a million dollar business. Like absolutely, because there's a big enough market out there. And so we fail to deliver really convincing products and services because we don't niche down enough. And then we have this general approach to whatever we're trying to do. And then it makes it really hard to charge
0: enough to, to actually put money in the bank. Man, that's some, that is some solid, solid advice. And I I love the, I love the design pickle for cupcakes. Like (laughs) I (laughs) I could just see that website, like little cupcakes shaped in the shape of a pickle. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a design website. Yeah. Well, I'm actually thinking
1: about, I'm actually thinking about, I just was in, um, in San Diego last week with the guy, he's a podcaster. His name is John Lee Dumas. He does yeah, like yeah. tons of podcasting for businesses. And, uh, we were talking about this and, and he convinced me I'm going to do it, but he's like, Russ, you should start, uh, a uh, like teach people how to start their own creative business, like a design pickle type business for niches, even even if they have no design experience, because you could just literally build it on top of design pickle, like and use that as your infrastructure. And I was like, dude, that's genius. And so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to knock that out by the end of March is like a course to teach people how to start the design pickle for cupcakes or the design pickle for whatever niche they want to do.
0: That's awesome, man. That's really, really solid. Jo- yeah, we've had John we've had <laughs> John Lee Dumas in the podcast before, and he is I mean, his personality is like just literally straight fire. Like he's just. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's yeah, like, he's like, dude, he got like ice cream and sugar in the middle of the day.
1: He's like, here's a sugar shop. We're going to go in here, get ice cream. I was like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> like to the afternoon.
0: <laughs> that is priceless, man. Um, cool. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to circle around to, to something, you know, maybe not, it's not a little bit more serious. It's just a different uh, angle of entrepreneurship. And it's an angle that I think that, far too few people are talking about and it's entrepreneurship and mental health. And, you know, you've written this great one of the reasons why I had wanted to have you on the podcast is that you've written this great book called The Sober Entrepreneur. And I think that the book really touches on a few key pieces around entrepreneurship and and not just not just sobriety or addiction, but really focusing in on the struggles that a lot of challenges or a lot of entrepreneurs face in terms of mental health challenges. And and I mean it's kind of crazy, like when we look at some of the stats, something like 50% of, of entrepreneurs identify as having a mental health disorder, whether it's you know a, a deep depression or 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 heightened anxiety or uh, attention deficit di- disorder. And so, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are struggling, and I feel like this conversation is starting to emerge. But I wanted to get your insight on on why do you feel like so many entrepreneurs are, are struggling behind the scenes?
1: A lot of this is from my own experience, and and this is simply the reality that when you become an entrepreneur, you're you're usually the black sheep. Like my family was teachers and professionals. They were not business owners. And I'm not to say that's that's universal, but for a lot of us, especially the people who are trying to change their lives or start their first business, they're usually, they've grown up not around entrepreneurs. So that initial launch into that venture is super isolating. You don't have, you don't know what the network systems are. If you're a teacher and you have a bad day, you're surrounded by teachers and you could talk about things, ideally. And same thing if you're a marketer and a big marketing team. But if you're trying to get this thing off the ground, you're by the very definition of what it takes to get something started. You're you're going against the odds. You're usually taking some risks. People are probably sketched out. If you're married, your wife or husband's like, "What are you doing? Like, this is crazy." So you you end up closing yourself off uh, to a certain extent because so, you want to succeed and you don't want to look like an asshole who told told everyone you're going to start this business and then it failed. But that is like kind of the first step of that isolation. So then when we get hit with the other challenges, let's say we are ADHD or we're, we're naturally prone to depression or we're fueling depression with some type of substance or alcohol, then those things just continue to foster and grow within this isolation tank. And to the point though, and in, in my addiction, that it was totally normal to like have a couple drinks after work, you know, three or four days a week. Like I, I just assumed that was normal, but, but then that would spin that flywheel faster of, of stress and isolation. And then, well, I would never really resolve those issues. And the next time I would have, I would drink a little bit more and I drink a little bit more. And, and so what breaks the cycle is, is what I hope to do with this book. And, and again, it's not just about drinking. It could be anything that you're struggling or addicted to is just to say like, you're not alone. And as simple as that phrase is, that was the phrase that I didn't hear while, when I was in, the, in my chamber of darkness, if you will. And that camaraderie or that connection that, hey, oh, wow, there's someone else that is like me or that understands maybe I'm not so weird. Maybe I'm not so alone. Maybe I'm not so just like the odd man out. Now I can confront those issues versus hide them or mitigate them. It's another thing I did for many years. Oh no, I don't, I'm not alcoholic. Look, I'm married, I have kids, I have a f- successful business. I don't have a drinking problem. But you don't have to be arrested to have drinking problems. It could be just a little chip every week for decades, and then all of a sudden you're 50 pounds overweight, or your business sucks, and you're like, "What am I doing? Like this is like terrible." So, but that that you know, back to your question. It's, it's getting out of that isolation. Like that's step number
0: one. Mm, Yeah. I think that's, I think that's so powerful. You know, like one of the things that we talk about, uh, within man talks, especially for guys is shifting the mindset around relationships from a, from a competition based relationship to a challenge based relationship. And I think that, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs look at relationships with other entrepreneurs as naturally, and sort of organically competition based, even if they're not in the same industry, even if it's not somebody that you're competing with, it somehow becomes this sort of unconscious contest where you're, where you suddenly feel like you're competing with somebody else simply because you're, you know, you wear the the badge of entrepreneurship. And I feel like part of our journey, part of our work to do as entrepreneurs is to, is to start to move forward through this competition with other people into a space where we can positively and, and in a healthy manner, challenge one another. So, you know, you talk about isolation. How do we start to, to shift from this space of being isolated as entrepreneurs and move more towards this space of being able to challenge one another, but, but actually still get support from one another? What does that look like in in your experience? Oh man, that's a heavy question. I think that's
1: a, it's a, I mean, that's what you're trying to solve, right? With what you're working with Mantox is creating, creating this. Honestly, it's, it's, we'll come back to the program I mentioned before that I've been training with and involved in Warrior. One of the, one of the adages is, is stop fucking lying. Like we just have to stop lying about how we're feeling or what the challenges are or what we want in a significant other or with our businesses or our employees being the, or with ourselves. Like, like, you know, lying about our happiness level. And and we end up lying most of the time, not because we're like manipulative or trying to deceive people, but because we're, we are avoiding the real issues. And when you ask me, Russ, like, how's your relationship with your wife going? And I say, oh, it's great. Or I say, Russ, how's your relationship with your wife going? And I say, it's great, but I haven't had sex in two weeks and I'm about to lose my mind. And like, like I'm gonna probably go masturbate in a corner somewhere if this doesn't get solved soon. Like that's a much more real answer than everything's fine. Now, I'm not really actually gonna go masturbate in a corner somewhere, but I really have not had sex in two weeks. And it's like, it's super distracting for a guy. Those aren't conversations that you would normally have at a backyard barbecue. But if you can do it, even at a fraction of what I just did, you're going to create a more trusting environment. Because what, what does the next guy feel comfortable with doing? Telling the truth and being more open and honest. And that continues and that snowballs. And eventually, you're just having much deeper, richer, more authentic conversations. And people feel that level or that, that judgment or even that, that like posturing kind of feel doesn't, that doesn't exist as much anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I got Yeah, go ahead. I was going to, I was just a question. Cause it's like related. Um, are women allowed to your events?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very, so okay. for the majority of the events, absolutely. It's open to men and women. Sometimes we have like women come and speak, but we do have some events that are men only and like the members only.
1: So I found those events are more like you would think, a bunch of guys in a room. Typically, it's like, oh, it's testosterone, like too much happening. But the men-only events are far deeper emotionally than with women in the room because you eliminate the, 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 the perception of judgment that can happen with, with the co with the commingling of of sexes. I don't know if that's been your experience too, but what we're chatting about, like I've seen that demonstrated firsthand. Being able to tell the truth is a lot easier when I'm, when when the opposite success, opposite sex isn't there because we're sort of like trained as society to behave differently with men than we are with women.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, right? Because I think in a, in a lot of ways we as men have this like unspoken code of what's okay to talk about when there are women in the room, and. And, you know, part of why the majority of our events have both is that, you know, we have a guy come up and speak and tell his journey and talk about his his autobiography and his story. and it And it really is to try and challenge that narrative that most of us have that we can't talk about certain shit when women are around, because it's totally true. You know, like most of us, like just the stuff that you said right there, probably, you know, before would not get said. By a guy, especially if there's a woman around, and I think that the more that we can lean into some of these vulnerable conversations in an open environment, the more that we're going to start to stretch that muscle in any situation. And I do think that what you're saying is is true that you know that radical honesty, you know, is something that is inherently and almost intrinsically linked to a deep sense of of masculinity. You know, and it's almost like the more that we lie, the weaker that we feel as men. And I've experienced that in my life for sure. You know, the, the times in my life where I felt like a, you know, catastrophic failure were inevitably connected to the times in my life where I was being out of integrity and being dishonest with pretty much everybody. And so I never felt seen, I never felt right. heard or understood. And and there is there is definitely merit to the to the notion and to the fact that men will uh, for the most part, go quite a bit deeper when it's just around other men. And, and some of that stigma falls away. And and it's because we, you know, I think a lot of guys posture when there's a woman in the room and, and there's just like this automatic filter that kicks in. It's so interesting to see. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about this book. Like what, who did you, who did you want to write it for? And you know, why do you feel like this is so important right now?
1: Well, I mean, it comes back to my original story. This was a a a book for my family first. like how could I encapsulate my experiences in a way that would allow my family to learn from them or at least understand me better, which can hopefully understand you know they could they could have a better understanding of who they are and that vulnerability that we just talked about showing that vulnerability to them. So I have all daughters. So I have three daughters and I want them to find a man or be with a guy who can be expressive and talk, talk, you know, be truthful and be open and honest about when things are challenging. And my story is the the problems that can happen if you're not that and then how I've overcome that. So the first part is really, you know, the first target audience was my family, but then but then this larger context that we've talked about this entire episode was really obvious to me that there's just a lack of any type of conversation ha- happening with like a modern a modern version of it. You can go to AA. I've ever, I don't know if you've ever been to AA, but it's like so depressing, like really, really. Like, I could go to an AA right now and I'm just like, I want to have a drink after an AA meeting because it is not at all a place where you're just (laughs) like, yes, I'm sober. Woo. Um, But, but so there wasn't anything modern that I was like, yeah, that guy's like me. Oh, I connect with him. And so that was the other reason for writing the book was just to be a look. I'm, I'm in, I'm in my mid thirties. I just turned 35 last month. Like I have a family, I have a business life is all over the board. Here's what happened to me. And the second half of the book is like, here's what I've done to not only stay sober, but to just succeed as a sober guy. Um, And there's a new tagline, actually, credit John Lee Dumas for coining this on Saturday, but success through sobriety. Like success through sobriety is like the the kind of, the phrase that that we came up with was like, this is how I've been successful now through my sobriety, including the pressures of not drinking. My wife drank for a long time after I quit. What is that like? Um, She doesn't anymore. That was a challenge my wife's sober crap. How am I going to like get laid? Like that was the easy path to getting laid was here's some champagne. Let's go to a nice dinner. I can't do that anymore. What do I do? So, uh, like those, those stories and those conversations I wanted to have. So I put the book out and, um, and it's been awesome. Like I've gotten, I get messages every day of people like reaching out from, this helped me? Or I, I was, I've, I've realized I have an addiction to so I don't to, from from all forms of addictions from
0: business to substances to relationships and, and more. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that this this topic really is at the front and center because a lot of us have some form of an addiction. You know, like I, I don't know if you've read Russell Brandt's book called Recovery, but it's a hilarious it's it. It sounds like it sounds like it's right in the same uh, sort of genre as yours, and uh, it's a hilarious look at the twelve step program, basically. And it's his yeah. his journey through the twelve step program. But you know, in there, he talks about how you know we really are facing. So many of us are facing some form of addiction that we don't even recognize as an addiction. Whether it's an addiction to unhealthy food or smoking or alcohol or, you know, uh, binge watching CNN or Fox news. It's just on like a replay, which a lot of people have just going, going in their home, like six, seven hours a day, right? Just mindlessly watching the same crap over and over again. But, you know, or, or it's social media, checking your Instagram account 200 times in a day and not even like noticing that that's happening. So, so I think it's a really interesting time. And, and as entrepreneurs, it really is one of those uh, things because we can get fixated on certain things, like we can get fixated on metrics or outcomes, and we can become addicted to those specific results that we're trying to uh, tr- trying to achieve. So, is that also something that that you sort of address in the book? Is is this sort of like a uh, regular approach to how to deal with with sort of any sort of addiction that comes up in our lives? Absolutely. And if I haven't said it already, like the sheer
1: path of being an entrepreneur requires you to be addicted to your idea, vision, journey. Like, man, you what you're doing right now, you are addicted to the vision of how you're going to positively influence men moving forward. It's not easy. You're likely going to fail. There's tons of competition, or maybe there's not, but like to, to just be the entrepreneur, we have to be an addict. So I say in the book, like the odds are stacked against us from day one, because we have to have an addictive personality to be successful as an entrepreneur. And and that then begs the question, well, how can you manage that in a positive way and become addicted to the additive things in your life, the things that improve you and make you better? And not completely avoid, because there are plenty of of really successful guys who aren't addicted to alcohol. It's not an issue, but, but could be addicted to something else. But how do you navigate the subtractive behaviors that can form addictions that can take away from you and your, you know, becoming a better person? And that's the name of the game. That's like the, the, the whole point of su- the whole, only way we succeed is if we, if we become masters at knowing Hey, this is something that's good. It's okay that I'm addicted to this because it's going to help perpetuate my success versus this is destroying me or has the potential to
0: over one, two, five, ten, twenty years. Yeah. I mean it's it's interesting because I think that a lot of a lot of the challenges that we face as entrepreneurs around addiction, especially, you know, like you were just talking about is, is who will we be without that? You know, how do we find success? Because we are addicted to the outcomes. We are really like focused in on what we want to achieve or accomplish. And so how do we actually find some resemblance of balance and achievement within that space while acknowledging are sort of like, <laughs> are sort of insanity. I don't want to say insanity, but, but are, you know, are sort of like pulled towards needing to have certain things happen. So in the second half of the book, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the recommendations that you make for people to actually start to address some of the areas of their life where they, where they feel unhealthy?
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of it's based around the warrior program that I'm in, which in a nutshell is just being balanced in all areas of life. That's not a novel concept. There's been plenty of personal development people and wellness people out there who preach that and and Warrior just has their own version of it. One of the more specific things that I could say anyone can start with right away is how do you manage your stress? And that to me was a huge, huge understanding of why I was led to my addictive behavior was because I was addicted to the temporary stress relief that it provided even though everything was the same or worse after afterwards. And the tactics that I talk about uh, in specific for managing stress are things like getting into physical exercise, uh, meditation, using an app called Headspace is the one I love. And those are things, again, that aren't new, you've probably had a 100 guests talk about meditation or working out as good habits. But when you tie it to the reason why you're doing it isn't to look good or become a Zen monk Buddhist, it's because you're doing that to manage the stress so that you can gain distance from your addictive or negative patterns, then those things become far more important. Like I went to the gym, I went actually to a friend's house and worked out we do it every Tuesday morning at 5am. It's it was actually cold in Arizona, which is not normal, but it was like so cold, like forty five degrees. It Might as well be like negative forty five degrees, but still, like getting to somewhere to work out for an hour at five a.m. is not not a simple task. I didn't do it because I love it or it's easy or I'm like a, trying to be super sexy. I did it because I know that I'm going to be really focused and and have a lot less stress the rest of the day. And so I talk about all those things in the book. Uh, I go through body um you know being which is like our spiritual relationship with the, the universe whether that's tr- more traditional like a religion or less traditional um balance which is our relationships with our family and our significant other and our kids and then finally business like what are the habits
0: i have in business and that's basically the second half of the book awesome yeah, i mean it's it's interesting because a part of i actually just did this like little video yesterday talking about how important discipline is because we don't the personal growth and sort of like self help industry is i think sort of misleading for a lot of people where it puts out this message like we should just feel good all the time and we should just be like super jacked up and inspired and motivated to do shit that you know sometimes like you said getting up at 5 a.m and and going to work out isn't Always enjoyable. Like if you don't get a good night's sleep and your kids keep you up until one o'clock in the morning and you got to get up four hours later to go, to go and work out, that's probably not super enjoyable. And so we're, there's going to be things and moments in our lives where we're definitely not going to be motivated or inspired to, to actually go do those things, but to cultivate the discipline to do it. And, and I'm also curious, how much of this do you feel like? transitioning our addictions these sort of like negative addictions into healthy disciplines is actually the work like when i think about you were talking about stress how do you manage stress so let's say the average entrepreneur when when he or she has a you know a really tough day either in you know in their business or their work or like whatever they're doing and their normal default mechanism is to go and have a beer or to go and connect with some friends and and watch a game and have a you know have a couple of highballs how much of this is to start to shift those stress coping mechanisms into something healthier, like going to work out or like going for a hike or like sitting and meditating? It's dude, you just
1: nailed it. Because the amount of energy and time that we spent managing an addiction or a destructive habit, that effort and energy needs to be directed somewhere when you remove that. When I quit drinking, I was like, Oh my gosh, I have all this time. I have more money. I have more energy. I can't just sit there and I could either choose to point it towards something positive and build that builds me up, or I'm just going to find another destructive thing. And often, this is what we see in traditional recovery programs is like you go to drinking, but now you're smoking a ton of weed, or you're smoking a ton of weed, but then you're like really into porn, or you are a workaholic and you just, you're sober, but you work. 55 hours a day. Uh, So, you know, you got to navigate that. And and part of my book in one chapter, I I talk about like being super conscious of like conscious of how you direct that energy so that you don't just fall into another destructive pattern. But that's the hack. Like that's the ultimate hack of, of I think any successful person is they have found a way to create habits that harness their natural destructive tendencies like dude i'd love to sit around and play video games all day i love video games i don't play video games because i will just i'll just play them forever and hours and like i'll get wrapped up in like fallout 4 i still haven't beat the game because i'm just like i can't play it i'm too and i can't be in the wasteland post-apocalyptic uh but 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 i i'm able to not do that because i have all these other things stacked up and lined up that I'm equally committed to. Incredible
0: man! Yeah, I, I love it. I think that's some some really sage advice. Um, just because we're we're wrapping up on time here, we're we're almost almost closed up. Uh, I'm curious what you have coming up in the future. You mentioned a few projects that you're working on, but what are you most excited for for 2018? Well. I'm excited to continue to promote
1: my book. Uh, pretty soon, we're going to have it for free at SoberEntrepreneur.com, which is super, super pumped up about. That's going to get into more more people's hands. I think right now, either by the time you hear it, it's either a free chapter or the book is free. So definitely check that out. And then launching a podcast with my wife. We mentioned that. It's called Good to Be Home. We're going to be launching that uh, soon. And that's going to be amazing, just creating with my wife, giving a inside um account and how to balance business and life, which is from from a married couple perspective, not just from a one-sided perspective from us, us dudes. And then it's going to be continuing to grow Design Pickles services. Uh, we are really committed to changing lives through creativity. That's our core value or our, sorry, our vision. And we are just looking at ways to Expand our services, um, get design into more hands of more small businesses, and uh, and actually, and as of Saturday, maybe launching a, a course like how to start <laughs> how to start your own design pickle for cupcakes, like that. That that we'll see what happens from there. Uh, it's
0: pretty. I'm pretty. I'm curr-
1: I'm currently really pumped up about that,
0: but you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. I think I think just on that no one one final question before we jump off because I, I think this is you just you just touched on something that I think is so important as entrepreneurs, we can get so distracted from like the latest and greatest shiny object and and i've I struggle with this all the time, like you know last year I launched a whole new. Uh, conference series called the Real Talk Summit and brought in Gary V and and it was really like me being distracted by you know something shiny that I wanted to build and and it's cool and, and it's great it's turned into this you know beautiful and and amazing conference but it is so I find my biggest challenge is just. Focusing in like a laser and not getting distracted by this sort of endless and infinite amount of opportunities that seem to reside out there as entrepreneurs. And so how do you personally manage that drive, that sort of like insatiable craving to just create and build new things and really focus in on what matters? It's
1: super simple. Here's the deal what we do in life is extremely abstract. What I'm going to create, the businesses, the impact I'll leave, my legacy is really abstract. I don't know where that's going to go. But I kind of know what I want like in a material sense in the next 3 to 12 months. And so what I do is I just make a list of that every year of like all the shit that I want in life. And it's not necessarily altruistic. It's like, I want a new car. I want to go on this trip with my family. Some things are more meaningful, like a mission trip with my church or something. And then every time an opportunity comes up, I just ask myself, will this help me get closer to any of these things? If it does, and I can see that clearly, and it's not me rationalizing it or hoping that it will, then I go for it. And if it doesn't, then I just let it slide because I know there's gonna be 10 more things after that. That'll be a better fit. But having that clarity on what I want is step one, because if you don't have that clarity, then everything seems like a great opportunity because you just don't have a target you're marching towards or you're going after. So when I did that for the first time, I think there was like 10 things on my list. Now I have multi-page Google Docs. (laughs) But before it was just like, I want to not live in an apartment. (laughs) so like, that was it. And that was one of my things. Like, I want to procreate one more time with my wife. Have another child. That was it. So don't overcomplicate it. And as you get better at the process, you can have...
0: More things in that bucket and they can become more complex. Awesome. That is some sage advice that I I think and and very much believe that people will be able to implement and and benefit from. So listen, Russ, thank you so, so much for being on the Man Talks podcast. You bet. Thank you for having me and uh, really appreciate the time likewise likewise so for everybody else that's out there listening thank you so much for tuning in to the man talks podcast do not forget to man it forward share this podcast with one person uh, or share it out on social media make sure you tag me thank you so much for everybody that has been hitting me up on instagram on facebook on twitter i really appreciate the shares uh don't forget to subscribe leave us a little review goes a long way on getting our episodes into the ears and onto the phones of other people and until next week this is connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.